Say, Lord, by your spirit, speak to me. In Jesus' name. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 1, and we're going to start reading from verse 18, please. Matthew 1, verse 18, and I'm actually going to be commenting. We're going to read all the way eventually to verse 25, but I'm going to be making comments as we read. Uh, so let's start at verse 1, and let's read verse 1. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. Everybody, let's read it aloud. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. Now I like that. Because the way it's stated, there's no emotion. There's no emotion in it. It's not an emotional statement. It's uh, a matter of fact. It's history. It's Matthew simply telling you what happened. I like that. Because that reassures us that Christianity, our faith, is based on facts, not emotions. You hear me? A lot of religions are based on emotions. And emotions are important. It's, we worship God and our emotions should be involved. But you don't want your faith to be based on emotions. You want your faith to be based on facts. Something that is real. And so here we have Matthew simply giving you the facts. And he says this is how Jesus Christ was born. Do you know that some people who today even deny the fact that Jesus is a real person? There's some people who claim to be very smart that would tell you they don't even know whether Jesus Christ was born. Now, in the first service, I, maybe I, I went a bit too far, but I, re, I call those people stupid. Because you got to be stupid, seriously, to say that Jesus Christ was never born and did not live. Now, you don't have to believe in him as Lord and Savior. That's a choice you can make. But for you to deny that he even is a historical figure that somehow people just made him up, I don't care how smart you think you are. That is a stupid conclusion when you consider all that has happened since that day. So hear me, church. Jesus Christ was born. It's history. Raise your hand and say, thank you. Jesus, you were born. It's a fact. Amen. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Let me talk about betrothed. Because sometimes, and in some Bibles, it is translated as simply engaged. But it's much more than that. Because today when you get engaged, and maybe some of you have in the past, and you're not married to the person you got engaged to before, at some point you just changed your mind and you gave him back his ring. Or he asked you for his ring. <laughs> and it was done, right? There's no legal contract. It's just an agreement between two people and you can walk away from it and there are no implications. But back then, when they referred to a man and a woman being betrothed, it was much more than that. It was literally a legal contract. Really, they were married. Because in order to end this relationship, they had to be, the man had to issue the woman a bill of divorcement. So they were legally married. It was a legal thing, okay? Uh, now, they had one year between the time they got betrothed to when they would get married. Officially, well, I don't just get married when, it, when they would be able to consummate the marriage. And there would be the marriage feast. There will be a lot of celebration, a lot of singing and dancing. And usually that took place one year later. So Joseph and Mary had already been betrothed. And now Mary, like any girl, was looking forward to the day when they would celebrate this marriage. And there will be dancing and celebration. And if she was living today, she's looking forward to her dad walking her down the aisle. All her friends and family there. She's looking forward to that eagerly. Joseph also is looking forward to this day when he and his lovely bride 
can be finally fully uh, married and he can take her home. Because during this period, they actually got to conduct themselves as husband and wife except for the fact that they couldn't live together and they could not have any sexual relationships. That had to wait until the, a year later. But during the period of time, they, they conducted themselves as though they were husband and wife. So it was during this period when they were waiting for the day when they could, when Joseph could take her home, that somewhere between the day they were betrothed and the day they were to celebrate it openly and he could take his bride home and they could consummate the marriage, Joseph discovered that Mary was pregnant. I guess Mary had to tell him. Maybe he noticed, well, wait a minute, what's happening? Because I'm sure she didn't run to him and say, oh, Joseph, I'm pregnant. She must have, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, she knew what happened, but would this man believe it? Oh, they, Joseph, I'm pregnant, but don't worry, I'm pregnant for the Holy Ghost. <laughs> I don't, I'm not sure Joseph's going to be so, ah, I'm excited about that. When did it happen? <laughs> that, that wasn't the case. So she, was, she was, must have been bothered by this emotionally. And at some point, she told Joseph, or Joseph noticed it, and she had to say to Joseph, she was pregnant. And had to tell Joseph, but I have never slept with a man. Now, Joseph obviously didn't, wasn't too quick to believe that. Come on. So now Joseph is struggling with this, and he has to make some decisions. What is he going to do with this girl? What is he going to do with this wedding? What is he going to do with this marriage? So he's struggling and, and he's going to have to seek wisdom and give some thought to this because he wants to make the best decision. Now the scripture says she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Let me just make that clear. Because again, you got some weird people there that come up with some weird ideas. Okay? This does not mean that the Holy Spirit had any kind of sexual relationship with, with Mary. Some people actually think that. No, it simply means that it, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. How many of you know the Holy Spirit is, is God and he has the power to do whatever he can and whatever he wants? And so Mary became pregnant because the Holy Spirit did something with her and in her body that caused her to become pregnant with the Son of God. Now, she was a virgin, which means she had never known a man. Why did she have to be a virgin? Why was it necessary for Jesus to be conceived this way? It was because Jesus came in order to give his life a ransom for sinners, correct? His whole purpose was to be a sacrifice who could pay the price and take the place for sinners. That's all of us prior to salvation. But for Jesus to offer a perfect sacrifice that could cover the sins of every other person, he himself had to be sinless. You could not offer, I could not die for you because if I die for you, who would die for me? I got up sins, you got sin. If I say, oh, I'll give my life for you, then who would give his life for me? Because I am deserving of punishment. So for Christ to give his life for all of us, he himself could not be guilty of sin. So it was necessary that the sacrifice that was offered for all sinners be free from sin. Now, if Jesus had been born the way all of us were born, he would have been a descendant of Adam. Adam sinned, and when Adam sinned, he died, and he had a sin nature. And Adam passed on that sin nature to every man who has ever been born, every woman who has ever been born since that time. So every human being comes into the world already a sinner. Because you already possess the nature of Adam. Do you understand? That's why Jesus said to Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. That's why every man, every woman must be born again to enter the kingdom. Because when you came into this world, you came with Adam's nature spiritually dead. A sinner 
You didn't become a sinner when you sinned. You were a sinner, and that's why you sinned. That's why that baby, eh, eh. <laughs> Who taught that baby to respond that way and act up when she is hungry? Well, she came into this world with that mean, selfish streak already on the inside of her. She got that from her father, Adam. You follow? So all of us come into the world dead, partaking of the sin nature. That's why everybody needs to be born again. And that is why Jesus came. Jesus came to offer himself as the perfect sacrifice that will atone for the sins of every man and woman so that now God can forgive all of us who believe in him. And guess what? Then by the same spirit that worked in Mary, the Holy Spirit then comes into us and does a work in us and we become born again. Literally, our relationship to Adam ends and now we come alive with Christ. So the Bible now says of Jesus, Jesus is the last Adam. The first Adam led us to spiritual death. The second Adam gives us eternal life. So when Jesus and you are joined together, that's what the Bible calls a new birth. Now, listen to this, now you and I who are in Christ are no longer partakers of Adam's nature spiritually. You are a new creation. You fundamentally at your core now partake of the nature of the Son of God, which is righteousness. That's another sermon, but I'm trying to make it clear to you why the virgin birth was necessary. Okay, Jesus had to be sinless. Now, the Catholic Church, in order to explain how Jesus could be born sinless and still have Mary as a mother had to come up with a way to define Mary as also being sinless. And so the Catholic Church believes in the doctrine of immaculate conception. And that doctrine says that God supernaturally restrained Mary for, from sin so that Mary somehow escaped the Adamic nature. Somehow she descended from Adam but did not partake of Adam's Adamic nature. That is not biblical. Okay? Because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, in Adam all died. Mary herself needed a savior. And that son that she was giving birth to was going to end up saving her as well. Say hallelujah. She occupies a very special place that she should be honored, but she too needed salvation. Jesus Christ died for his mother too. Say hallelujah. hallelujah. Glory be to God. Nowadays we know about being a surrogate mother. They didn't know about it then, so maybe that's why they had to come up with how can he be the mother of Mary and, and not be sinless. So they had to come up with a way to explain that. Now we know that you can take a fertilized seed, right? And, and, and put that in, in the womb of a woman, and she can be a carrier without, without necessarily being the biological mother of that child. A mother, but not a biological mother. I believe that is what happened. God planted into Mary this special son, this special creation in terms of his body, and the spirits of the son dwelled in, and she carried his body on the inside of her and gave birth to him without imparting her sin nature to him. All right? So that makes that clear. So let's move on. So she was found with child. And, and before we go that, I want you to imagine, though, uh, how Joseph must have felt. Now, these were very young people. The scholars tell us that Mary was maybe 15. So there's a teenager. Okay, Joseph was a little bit older, but I can't imagine he was much older. So he probably could have been in his teens at the most in his early 20s, a very young adult. But here is this guy looking forward to this wedding. Here is this girl also looking forward to this wedding. And all of a sudden, they're faced with this situation where she's pregnant. And Joseph has to wrestle with that. The pain, the hurt, the feelings of betrayal, the disappointment. The questions, how could she do this to me? 
Why didn't I see it? She seemed like such a nice Jewish, such a nice Christian girl. Look, I mean, I presented her to my parents and they loved her. I was sure she was living a pure life. How did this happen? I can imagine him losing sleep because he really loved her. Not being able to sleep, not being able to eat, asking all of these questions, struggling with what to do. Loving her, but realize I can't go on. And so the Bible says he, he begins to think about what he's going to do. Go to the next verse. He was a just man. He didn't want to make her a public example. He was minded to put her away secretly. So he had some choices to make. And the scripture says he was just, he was righteous. Meaning this was a good man. Amen. In terms of men, this was a highly moral man. This was a kind man. This was a good-hearted individual. This was a man who took his religion seriously. This was a man who took God seriously. He was all of that. And so now he's struggling with this thing that has happened. His heart is broken. He's confused. And he's wanting to know what to do. He's thinking, but he's also praying, I'm sure. God, what am I supposed to do? He has four options. One, he can allow his emotions to take over. The pain, the hurt, the anger, the sense of betrayal. And he can say, you know what? No, you, you can't. No, no, no. I'm, I'm going to get even. He could allow his emotions to take over and he could say, you know what? I'm going to expose you for what you did. He could have done that publicly. That was one option. Another option was he could take her to the magistrate, to the court, and officially request a divorce and get from the magistrate the official writ of divorcement that would end this relationship. The problem with that, if he took her to the court and formally requested the divorce, he would have to tell them why. He would have to tell them that the reason I'm asking for this divorce is because she committed adultery. And under the law of that day, she will be subject to condemnation and possibly even being stoned to death. He had that option. Other men did that. You know, and there are folks that live today, if, somebody, if, if, they get, if someone, someone hurts them, they're going to pay, they're going to make sure they want to inflict maximum pain. Huh? You, you can't sleep until you get even. Right? So there are people, and he could have done that. That was an option. The third option he had was to marry her. But we will see why that option was so difficult for him, okay? And what was implied in that option. But he could marry her. The fourth option, which was the one that he decided he would take was, you know what, I, I, I hate what she did. I'm, 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 I'm confused, I'm angry, I am disappointed, I am in pain. This girl did me wrong. I hate the fact that she cheated on me. But you know what, I don't want to see her disgraced. And I don't want to hurt her because she hurt me. Yet I cannot marry her because I've lost trust. But what I can do, I can make it as, as, hopefully as easy as possible for her. So he decided, and this was one option he had, to bring together two or three people. The Bible says put her away privately. Instead of going to the court, bring together two or three people as eyewitnesses and give her the bill of divorcement in their presence. He would not have to say why. Okay? The sense of offense was against him personally. He could choose to look past it. So he could give her the bill of divorcement, end the relationship with two or three witnesses without having to expose her at that time. And so he felt, this is the best decision I can make. I can't marry her. Not under these conditions. But at least I can, I can try to protect her from disgrace and shame to the extent that I can. Joseph was a good man. Amen. Amen. Joseph was a good man. And, and I believe the Holy Spirit is using him to provide us an example for us too. When people wrong you, people hurt you, people do bad to you, and they take advantage of your goodness, listen, don't pay them back. Don't pay them back. Show them mercy. 
Don't say, you know what, I'm going to make you pay. Now, if there are certain things that need to be corrected, correct it, but don't approach it motivated by this desire. You did this, did this to me. I'm going to hurt you. I'm going to see that you get hurt. I demand justice. Amen? Learn to show mercy. Learn to show mercy. That's the godly thing. That's the Christ-like thing. Amen? To show mercy. Amen? Jesus even said we should pray for our enemies. And so Joseph is a model here. He chooses to show mercy, but he can't marry her because he doesn't trust her. That was the decision he made. And then God intervened and spoke to him. Go to the next verse. While he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. So Joseph has made the decision. He's going to put her away privately. It's a good decision, but it's not God's decision. It's a godly decision, but it's not God's decision. It's a moral decision, but it's not God's decision. As far as men go, this was a great decision, but God had another plan. How many of you know, how many of you know that, that your plans are not always his plans? And what you prefer, and nothing may be wrong with what you prefer, nothing sinful, but God is doing something different. And we have to be open to the voice of the Spirit, open to what God is saying, because fundamentally, foundationally, at the very core, our motivation should always be to do His will. Our motivation should always be to please Him. Our motivation should always be to bring Him maximum glory. And sometimes the way He plans to do it is different from the way that we would choose. And so Joseph did not choose to marry her or remain married to her, he chose to put her away, but God said, no, Joseph, I want you to do this differently. He spoke to Joseph, and Joseph heard his voice. Now, hear me. This hearing or this receiving of guidance that Joseph got from the Lord didn't happen randomly or just by chance. It happened because Joseph was actually seeking that guidance. You hear me? He knew he needed direction. He needed guidance. And he was earnestly trying to make a decision. He was seeking the guidance. Many of us don't get instruction and direction because we don't take the time to seek guidance from the Lord. We assume we already know what we're going to do. We don't need him. Okay? And because of that, many times we make costly mistakes. Because we didn't earnestly seek him for direction. Or, there's another reason why. It's because not only is he seeking him, but I believe in his heart, and we will see why I believe that shortly, he was genuinely motivated to doing God's will and not his. Many of us don't get that guidance because we're not genuinely motivated to do his will We've already decided what we want to do. We're asking him to bless it. And so we skip the first step, which is to get a clear sense that this is the direction of the Lord. And when we do that, we miss out on spiritual guidance. One of the most important blessings that you and I have in Christ is to receive wisdom from him. In all thy getting, get wisdom. Amen? The difference between a, 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 an effective life and one that isn't has to do with wisdom. When, you, when you're making wise decisions, those wise decisions show up in good ways in your life. When you're making poor decisions, they are costly. And sometimes you spend the rest of your life paying for a decision you made because you didn't really, really take the time to get wisdom from God. Amen? So God gives wisdom to those who will seek it. God gives wisdom to those who will believe it. And God gives wisdom to those who are really, really 
committed to doing his will, whatever that will is. So this is where Joseph was, and he got guidance. Now, what did the Lord say to him? The Lord said, Joseph, don't put her away. I want you to go ahead and take her, marry your wife. In other words, don't divorce her. She's pregnant, but I want you to stay married to her. Now, that seems pretty straightforward. It seems like he's saying, okay, go ahead and just marry her. Don't worry. The child that she has in her belly, she didn't cheat on you. So thank God he vindicated Mary, at least for Joseph. But he didn't vindicate Mary with all the other people. Because you can imagine the gossip that is going to start taking place. The angel isn't going to all of them. So, so that's an issue there that God seems not to be taken care of. At least he took care of it with, with Joseph, right? So he talks to Joseph and he says, Joseph, she's, the girl is not pregnant for another man. She's been faithful. Even though you thought she was Joseph, she wasn't. And that's a point I think I need to make. Sometimes we can think people are doing something for this reason and we can blame people and accuse people who really are innocent. Amen. So let's make an effort to understand why people do certain things and not be too quick to blame and ascribe an evil motive to them, even though it looks like it. It's good to ask the Lord to help you understand. Maybe if you ask the Lord, he can give you more insight into what happened and why. And in that way, certain relationships that are about to be destroyed can be preserved. Relationships that are valuable to you and to God's plan can be preserved if we take a little bit more time to ask what's happening here. Now, let me share with you what's behind that request because it's not as easy as you think. When God says to, to Joseph, Joseph, I want you to stay married. Don't divorce her. Accept her as your wife. What God is saying, one is, you know what? I've already ruined Mary's reputation by having her become pregnant before marriage. And I want you now to agree to ruin yours. That's exactly what he's saying. I, how many of you know that Jesus can ruin some things? I know, I know Jesus, we know we receive Jesus, we get all of the blessings and all of the good things and the abundant life and Jesus has all of that. Thank God. But how many of you know Jesus can ruin some things? When you get in a relationship with Jesus <laughs> and you commit to Jesus, there's just a lot of things that you once held dear to you you live for, you plan for, you desired, oh, this was a thing that would make you happy. And once you get into a relationship with Jesus and start making a commitment to him, he ruins some things. And so Mary was looking forward to her wedding. She had spent her life, she had preserved herself. She was a good Christian girl, Jewish girl, Christian girl. But when she said, yes, be it done unto me, According to your word, Jesus ruined her reputation with a lot of people. And now Jesus is saying, or God is saying, now that I've ruined, <laughs> now that Jesus has ruined your reputation, uh, Mary's reputation, I want you to agree for him to ruin your reputation too. Because think about it, Joseph was a righteous man. He was an upright man. Living at a time when, when, when it was important, at least outwardly, to appear righteous and upright. Living at a time when sexual immorality and getting a girl pregnant out of wedlock was looked down upon. It was considered sin. It was shameful. It was disgraceful. And any man who would do that would be considered an evil person. You know? And here Joseph was walking around and, you know, he prided himself for his righteousness. He was committed to his synagogue. He was doing his best to be an outstanding example. And if he agrees to marry, or to stay married to, to marry, then he becomes the father of the child. But wait a minute, people can count. They know how many months. So wait a minute. 
they got together, but being only five months old. So you add the months, and you know, wait a minute, this man who's been walking around here acting like he's so holy, acting like he's so righteous, amen, going to the synagogue, claiming to be, this man is a hypocrite. He's been living sexually and immoral life. His reputation was going to be ruined in his community. He would have to walk with his head down. He would have to be ashamed. Can you imagine the gossip? Can you imagine the rumors? <laughs> you heard about Joseph, eh? And that little girl, uh, uh, Mary, you see them? They, something wrong. So God was really saying, Joseph, I want you to agree to ruin your reputation for Christ. But wait a minute. You, you, when you're in business for yourself, you know how important your reputation is, right? If you, if you ruin your reputation, it can severely affect your business. If the people begin to look at you as being not, a, not an upright person, not someone with integrity, someone with a shady character, you will definitely begin to lose customers. Well, guess what? When Joseph loses or ruins his reputation as a moral, upright citizen, it's going to affect his business as a carpenter. There are customers who are no longer going to give him work, no longer want him to come to work on their projects because now his reputation is soured. They want to work with other folks. So God is not saying to Joseph, just ruin your, your reputation. But I also want you, for Christ's sake, <laughs> to ruin your business. Lose customers. Uh-huh. That, is, that is tough, Lord. I, that, that, is, that is hard, Lord. Lose my reputation. Ruin it, uh, lose customers, ruin my business and all the plans I have for my business. I was supposed to be, I was planning to expand. I was planning to, 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 to invest even more. And now you're saying I need to make a decision for Christ that will actually cause me to lose customers. But wait a minute. If Joseph agrees to stay married to Mary, the child that's about to be born has a target on his back. There are people who want to kill him. There are people who want to kill that child. Herod, the religious leaders, they want that child dead. So if he becomes the father, then he becomes responsible for the safety of that child. All of a sudden now, his own safety is jeopardized, and his comfort is jeopardized because now he has to flee to Egypt as a refugee. Leave the comfort of the life that he was living, the income he was receiving, the safety he felt among his own people, now was being jeopardized by the decision God was asking him to make. Because now he's a fugitive. He has to be fugitive. He has to leave his home, leave his business again, go into a strange place, not knowing how long he's going to be living there as a refugee. Some of you have had the experience of a refugee. You know what the sacrifices that are involved with that. Now, if God asks you, for Christ's sake, to ruin your reputation, to ruin all of your business and career plans, to jeopardize your safety and your comfort for the sake of Christ. What are you going to do? How will you respond? What is the most important thing to you? Let's see how Joseph responded. Go to verse 24. Skip and go to verse 24 and 25, because there we see his response. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did 
as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife. Let's all read it together. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife. I like the way the Message Bible says. The Message Bible simply says, then Joseph woke up. Amen? But we see that Joseph did everything God said. In other words, Joseph said, God, I know what you're asking me to do. It's going to ruin my reputation, but I will obey you. God, I know this is going to have a negative impact upon my business and my career. I'm going to lose customers. I'm going to lose business because of this, but I'm going to obey you. God, I know this is going to jeopardize my safety and my comfort. But you know what? I'm going to obey you. He made the decision to obey. To do what the Lord said. Because you see, and this is very, very, very important. Very important. It's being saved is by grace through faith. Thank God. But walking worthy of your high calling in Christ. It's costly. Being a devoted follower of Jesus is costly. Denying yourself is costly. Loving people, serving people is costly. Preaching the gospel, making disciples is costly. It's going to cost you time, talent, strength, money, and it's not always, in fact, many times, it won't be convenient to do what Christ or what you need to do for Christ's sake. And you and I will never walk in the perfect will of God for our lives will never become devoted disciples of Jesus, will never fulfill our high calling as Christians if we make our personal convenience the standard of what we do in the kingdom. Are you hearing me? What Christ forbids, we have to forsake. Christianity or the life that God has called you and me to live is not about convenience. If it was about convenience, Joseph never would have done what he did. What's convenient about ruining your reputation? What's convenient about ruining your, your business? What's convenient about ruining your comfort? Nothing convenient about that. So convenience was never the goal or the motivation for any decision Joseph and Mary made. And I pray for you, I pray for myself, I pray for this congregation, I pray for Christians all over the world, that we will not live our lives on the basis of what we're going to do with our time, talent, treasure, are those things that we find convenient. Because you cannot live for convenience and be a disciple of Jesus. Hear me, it is not convenience that should motivate you. It's not about convenience, it's about the commission. The commission is go into all the world and make disciples. And many times in doing that, it's going to be very inconvenient. It's not about convenience, it's about the commandment. And the commandment is this Thou shalt love one another as I have loved you. And if I, being your Lord, is going to wash your feet, then you ought to be washing the feet of one another. That's the commandment. And, and, and you're not going to do that if you're looking for convenience. Because I don't know whether it's ever convenient to wash somebody's feet. I don't know whether it's ever convenient to put someone else's needs before my own. So convenience cannot be the rule by which we live and think that somehow we're doing God's will. Church, hear me. Going forward, as you make decisions concerning how you're going to use your time, your talent, your treasure, don't let it be con about convenience. Let it be about the commission. Let it be about the commandment to love one another, 
to serve one another as I have loved you. Hmm? Let it be about the cross. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, deny yourself and take up the cross. In other words, let it be about you living a life as one who is crucified to the world and the world is crucified to you. And ultimately, to sum it all up, let it be about the Christ. The way, the way I live, the way I spend my time, the way I spend my money, the way I spend my energy, the way I exercise my strength, let it be about the Christ and not about my convenience. That so many of us who refuse to stop living in sin or practicing sin because it's not convenient. It's much easier to live in sin than to do what God said. I want to challenge you. Don't let it be about convenience. Let it be about the Christ. The world says it's convenient. The world says this is how you should live. The world says, ah, no problem. It makes sense. Listen, that's the way the world thinks. That's not how we in the kingdom think. Amen? Fornication adultery, sexual immorality, these things are still sinful. I know the world doesn't think so anymore, but it's still sinful. And so we've got to say, you know what? It's not about my convenience. It's about the Christ. And let us be willing to forsake the things that he forbids. It's costly, but that's how we walk and that's how we fulfill our high calling in Christ Jesus. That's how our lives bring glory and honor to Christ. That's how we become the light of the world. Is as we choose to prioritize the commission over convenience, the commandment over convenience, the cross over convenience, and ultimately the Christ over our personal convenience. Now, King, the New King James says, then Joseph being aroused. I like the way the Message Bible says it. The Message Bible says, then Joseph woke up. Everybody say that. Then, now, Joseph is an example. This is how, and this is what it will take. For every man or woman who wants to walk and fulfill their high calling in Christ, every man or woman who wants to fulfill the dream that God gives you for his kingdom, for his glory, this is what it's going to take. I want you to look at Joseph and Mary, but we're focusing on Joseph. Look at Joseph and learn from his example what it takes to be a devoted follower of Jesus, what it takes to be a disciple of Christ, what it takes to fulfill your high calling, and your calling is high in Christ Jesus. What does it take for your life to bring glory and honor to him? First of all, every man who would fulfill his call must wake up spiritually. Every single one of us in this church, if you will fulfill your calling, then you have to wake up spiritually and see what God is doing. Joseph was sleeping. But he woke up and he saw for the first time clearly what God was doing through his wife and what God wanted to do through him and what God was doing in his world at that time. The Christ had come. The long-awaited Messiah had been born. God was saving the world. He woke up to that spiritual reality and that changed him. It caused him to move from the position of wanting to set aside his wife, not wanting to marry her, to being willing to marry her. He, his eyes were open. Wake up. Wake up. See what God is doing in the world, with others, with you, with your church. See what God is doing. Don't be asleep anymore. 
Don't miss out on what God is doing. There are so many folks who were there when the Christ was born and they had no idea. And so they continue to live their lives like they always did, taking care of their business, prioritizing their convenience because they were sleeping. But may the Holy Ghost in you wake you up, wake me up, so that we see what God is doing in the world today. And we see what God is doing through others, through Mary, and what God wants to do through you, through Joseph. And God does want to do something through you. You are part of his plan. Wake up. That's what Joseph did. And when he woke up, he remembered what God had said to him in the dream. Wake up and then remember what God has said to you and what God is still saying to you and to his church and to his people everywhere. So I said, Bishop, God didn't send me an angel. I, if, I, if, I, if an angel had come, I would know. Listen to me. You got an angel talking to you now. Amen? Amen? Because in the book of Revelation, the scripture, God sent a message to the angels of the churches, those who are pastors. So you do have an angel sent from God, a messenger from God this morning that is telling you and putting you in remembrance of what God has said. God said, go and make disciples. God said, love and serve one another as I have loved and served you. God said it must be about the cross. And it must always be about Christ. That should be what motivates you and moves you and guides you. That is the word of the Lord. Wake up and remember what God has said. You don't need an angel that's one even greater than the angel. You have the witness of the scriptures. Heaven and earth can pass away. But if you want to know what God has said, it's written right here in this book. So none of us can claim ignorance. God has spoken. And God has written it down. So that you can refer to it anytime you forget. Wake up, church. Wake up, saints. Wake up, children of God. God is at work in the world this Christmas. And God will be at work in the world next year. And until Jesus comes, God is at work in the world. And God is working through Mary's. And God is working through Joseph's. And God wants to work through you. But that can only happen if you wake up and you remember what God has said. And then the next thing you need to do is get out of bed. He woke up, he remembered what God said, and then he got out of bed and went and obeyed and did what God told him. It's not enough for you to hear a sermon. It's not enough for you to, okay, I, I know what God is doing. There's another step that many of us have not yet taken that we need to take. We need to wake up. We need to remember and then we need to get out of bed. Stop, get, move. Move from that comfort zone. That, that place that you have just kind of relaxed. And you, eh, it's so warm here. It's cold out there. I don't want to get out of my warm bed. Ooh, I just want to cover myself a little bit more and enjoy a few hours of doing nothing. Just taking care of me. The work of God needs to be done. People are going to hell. There's a commission that needs to be fulfilled. There's a commandment that needs to be obeyed. There's a Christ that needs to be glorified. And you and I want to remain in bed? And we're going to continue to prioritize convenience over the Christ? We say to you who are parents, who have children in the children's church, once a month, help the teachers Get involved to help take care of the children. And you say, eh, how can they ask me to do that? Don't you know how inconvenient it, inconvenient it would be for me to miss one service on Sunday? Huh? To miss the 8.30 service or to miss, how, how inconvenient? Jesus Christ hung on a cross for six hours naked 
to save you and save me? And one hour or two hours, one Sunday a month as a parent of a child that is being taken care of and you say it's inconvenient? We said, listen, everybody who's part of this family ought to be involved in some kind of ministry. You ought to be loving and serving one another. That's the commandment. And he said, uh-huh. I work all week. I have children to take care of. I got this thing to do, and I'm just too busy. Listen, if you are too busy to serve in any ministry, again, we're not saying every ministry, but if you're too busy to be involved in any type of Christian ministry, you are too busy. You are doing some things Christ hasn't called you to do. But because of your convenience, you keep prioritizing that because that's what you want to do. Everyone, God has blessed you with health and strength, people, and, 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 and gifts. And yes, you got to take care of your family. Yes, you got to take care of some stuff. But man, if you're going to be obedient to the commandment to love one another and serve one another, then there's something here that you're supposed to be regularly doing. What Christian ministry are you a part of? And if you're only going to get involved, if it's convenient, you're not going to get involved. Some of us are only willing to give when it's a little. I'll give a little, uh, a little money, a little time, a little strength. But don't expect me to do too much because, hey, I just want to enjoy myself and be peaceful. I don't want to get involved with those church folks because there's going to be conflict. So rather than get involved, I'm just going to sit back. Please. Jesus gives you the grace to forgive. And there's a, there's a, there's a fruit of the Spirit called long-suffering. Because God knew we were needed to deal with you. <laughs> and you were needed to deal with us, right? So hey, yeah, that's how we grow. That's how we grow. Are you listening? Hey, Amen. It's, it's not going to be convenient. There, there, will be, there will be times when you're going to have to sacrifice. Time, talent, money. You, if the only money you're going to give is what is convenient, you're not going to give much. And you're not going to be a faithful disciple. Those are just realities. So here's the fact. Here's the truth. Like Joseph and like Mary, God wants us to be partners with him in fulfilling his kingdom purpose on the earth. But for that to happen, I have to make the decision, and it's a daily decision. Paul said, I die daily. It's a daily decision. I have to make this daily decision. I'm going to wake up. I'm going to remember what God said. I'm getting out of my bed, my comfort zone, and I'm going to go and do what God tells me to do. Fulfill the commission. Fulfill the commandment. Live the crucified life and glorify the Christ. Everyone here who is serving... If they were doing it for convenience, they wouldn't be here either. I, I, I asked the praise team in the last service, what do they have to do to come here on Sunday and be prepared? They meet on Tuesday for two and a half hours. They come here on, on Sunday at 7.30, and then they stay for both services. Let's count how many hours. Hmm? It's not convenience. It's not, it's not that they don't have other things to do. I'm sure they, right now they wish they were somewhere else. And they say, Bishop, hurry up and get through. <laughs> but I just want to remind you, it's about the Christ, right? Amen. It's not about convenience. So they're sitting there. That's what it takes to do God's work. That's what it takes, guys. And we're serious about this mission. It takes that kind of commitment. All right. Why did Joseph do this? Why did he change his mind and went ahead and married 
this girl, knowing the price that would be paid. Now go back to 21, 22, and 23. Go to 21. I'm going to wrap this up in two minutes. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people. This is why. Remember, he wasn't going to marry her, but then he gets a revelation. And the revelation is of Jesus. Ah, he sees that this is about Jesus. It's not about, it's about Jesus. It's about the Son of God. It's about the one who will save the world from sins. It's about the one who's going to save me and save my wife from sins. This is about the one who's going to save my nation from sins. This is the one who's going to say, ah, it's about Jesus. And then later on, the, the, the angel says, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Ah, this is who he is. It's about God being with us. And when Joseph realized that this whole thing that God was asking him to do was about Christ, it was about Jesus, was about the Savior, was about the one who would save the sins, uh, save people from their sins, it was about God coming to live with man as Emmanuel. When his eyes were open to the reality that this was all about Jesus, nothing was too much for him to be willing to give to his Savior. And to his God. If you can see yourself giving, sacrificing, working in his kingdom, then you haven't seen him. You don't know him. You may be saved if you are, but you still don't know who he is. You don't know what he's done for you and what. He's doing for the world and what he wants to do for the world through you. You really don't know how big his plan is that he's asking you to fully participate in. But when your eyes open and you realize it's about Jesus, the Savior, and it's about saving the world, and it's about Jesus, Emmanuel, God being with us, when you see it and grasp it, nobody will tell you, wake up. And no one will tell you, get up. You will wake up and you will get up and you will go to work like Joseph did and Mary did. Bow your heads. In fact, would you please stand? Let's stand. I really want you I want you to respond to this. Respond to this from your heart. Talk to the Lord. If you know that you have been in bed, are you ready to get up? Have you, have you seen, have you heard enough for you to get out of bed and go to work doing what God has told you to do? Fulfilling the commission, fulfilling the commandment, living the crucified life, Glorifying the Christ. Holy Spirit, I pray for myself, for I want to be fully obedient to you. And I pray for everyone here that as we ponder this message, it would not be something that goes into one ear and out the other, but this will cause us to make a fresh and real commitment to being followers, devoted followers of Jesus, disciples of Christ. Fulfilling the high calling. In Jesus name. Amen. Listen. If. What the Lord tells you to do. Seems so hard for you. Because man. It will really mess up your plans. But yet you know it's what the Lord is telling you to do. You go ahead and decide you're going to obey anyway. And then ask him for the grace and the strength. To help you. And if you need to talk to us about it. Come let's talk. Because we want you to do God's will. We want you to do God's will. Joseph could have ignored the word of the Lord and gone ahead and not married, saved himself a lot of trouble. He would not have been a fugitive. He would not have had to run to Egypt. His business would not have lost customers. He could have done that. But at the end of his life, he would not have fulfilled God's purpose. And look at what he would have lost 
in the end, he would have lost the Christ. Father, thank you. In Jesus' name.